Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes, merchandise discounts in the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 39, making this the Andrew Chafin episode because, man, we sure could use him in the pen right now. With the Cubs licking their wounds after a losing homestand, yes, a losing homestand in spite of winning series against both the Mets and the Rays, the topic this week is missed opportunities. We all knew the Cubs had a tough schedule in the first half and would go through some rough stretches, but in order to survive those difficult road trips and top opponents, the Cubs needed to bank some wins against lesser teams, and they simply haven't done that. In this episode, I look back at the Cubs' record in both close games and in games where Fangraphs had them as a favorite to highlight the opportunities missed and then discuss why they continue to lose in the margins and why the series finale against Tampa was a microcosm of their entire season so far. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. So what a week. I don't even really know what to say. The Cubs started the homestand by beating the Mets two out of three. Then it looked things were looking pretty good. I was podcasting last week, looking forward to a red series, hoping the Cubs could win a series, maybe even sweep. Unfortunately, they get swept. They really got blown out in all three games. And so things were bleak heading into the series against Tampa. But of course, in Cub fashion, the Cubs win the first two. The first one with a, just an absolute Marcus Stroman gem, winning one nothing. The second, a team effort to win 2-1. to one. Really good bullpen action that day. Um, then we go into game three, and I'll get into more of that in a minute, but the Cubs lose a winnable game. And that that game really just kind of encapsulated the Cubs' season. So we've talked a lot about how this team raised the floor, this team got better, they added some star power. What we're finding out so far, and I've talked a lot about it on this podcast, is it's not been enough. It's not nearly been enough. And it's it's frustrating because... We knew this was going to be a tough schedule up front. You know, the Cubs are already done with the Dodgers. They'll be done with the San Diego Padres after this upcoming road trip. They've already played a bunch of tough teams. They've had a series with Milwaukee. They've played all the games against L.A. They've played San Diego. They've played an improved Miami team. Um, on and on and on, they've played Philly. Coming up soon, You know, by the All-Star break, they'll have played the Yankees. They'll have played – they're done with Tampa – they got Baltimore coming up on the next homestand. So a lot of these teams are going to get out of the way early, and you knew that was going to come with challenge. You knew there were going to be games the Cubs would lose. So when you're looking at that kind of schedule, what you need to do is you need to expand your margin for error. You know you're going to take some losses now that maybe you're not going to take in the second half when the schedule lightens up and you're playing a little bit easier teams. But right now the Cubs have not done enough to bank wins and really, the Cubs have had a lot of missed opportunity, and that may be what I call this podcast episode. But 
we, you know, when you look at the Cubs, we've talked about it. The Cubs are not good in one-run games. They're currently 4-11. and They did get a couple one-run wins this week against Tampa and then lost another one. They're 2-5 and five in two-run games. So that's a 6-16 and 16 record for a team that's 7 under 500 in games that are eminently winnable. Now, I mean, that's 22 games. Nobody's going to expect the Cubs to go 22-0 and 0 or 20-2 and 2 or even 18-4. and 4. But if they even took each of those splits to, say, one game under 500, if they were 10-12 and 12 instead of 6-16, six and 16, now we're talking about a Cubs team that's, you know, three games under 500. You're just a game or two out of first. You're hanging around. And what I'm afraid of with this Cubs team is getting too far behind. They, they could absolutely have a hot second half and, and come back and make up a lot of ground. And this is a very weak division. However, the Cubs, by not winning a lot of these winnable games, and we'll, we'll dig into the whys and the, and the what's here in a minute, but with every day that passes, as Jed has said, like at some point it's no longer early. At some point we're not in a position where we can just say, well, that's okay, the Cubs kind of split this one. They'll make that ground up later. They're going to go on this West Coast trip. They're currently now seven games under five hundred, but they're only four and a half games out of first place. So this division is still in reach, which is absolutely maddening. I mean, the way they're playing, if they were in the AL East or the NL East, a couple of these other divisions, they'd be pretty significantly out of it. And maybe they'd be almost out of the race. But the Cubs now are going to go on this West Coast trip, and it's not going to be easy. I know the teams that they're playing at out there maybe aren't playing their best baseball right now, but at some point San Diego is going to get right. Um L.A. is going to be tough to beat. And I think I'll have to look at the pitching matchups again, but I think they're on schedule to catch Shohei Otani in that series if everything stays on track. And then they play a Giants team that's pretty good. And so you go out west, you play those games. I think under nor- most normal circumstances, you know, hey, can the Cubs go out there, win five, split the, split the long road trip, come back home, have a home series, and go? They could. And that might even, in this division, maybe that's still good enough. But if they go 5-5 five and five on this 10-game road trip, they're going to come home. They're still going to be seven games under 500. They may not be any further out of first place than they are right now, the way this division's playing. But you've now taken 10 games off the schedule. And as the season wears on, you're taking games off the schedule. You're taking opportunity off the table. And the Cubs have just left a lot of winnable games on the table. And frankly, they're, they're going to wind up regretting that. So when you break this down, I looked at it a couple ways. I already gave you the, the close game stats, but I went back through fan graphs game by game and went with their win expectancy. And what was really shocking to me is in games where the Cubs were measured by fan graphs to have a win expectancy less than 50%, so they are not the favorite to win that game. The Cubs are actually doing pretty well. They're 16 and 15 in those games. And that includes you know some wins against LA, San Diego, um, win against Milwaukee, um, the two wins against Tampa, just, you know, a, a lot of good wins that they've had. They, they have had good wins against good teams. But when you look at the games where they are have a win expectancy of more than 50%, where they are the favorite to win, the Cubs are 8-15. and 15. Yeah, I'll pause and let that sink in. They're 8-15 and 15 in games where they were the expected winner. Now, in those measurements, it's not a ton. It's not like all those games where the Cubs were 70% to win. It's a lot of 52-48, 53-47, that kind of thing. It's a lot of times it's based on pitching matchups, too, and all the things that go into that. 
But when you look down this list, I mean, the Cubs are one and four against the Reds. They are 0 and two against Washington in games that they were favored. There was one game where Washington had a higher win expectancy. They're actually two and one against Miami. They they won a couple games where they were not the favored team based on pitching matchup. But if you look a little deeper, it's 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 even more than the four losses to the Reds. You know, the Cubs had one game against Milwaukee where they were the favored team, basically, and they lost that one. They had one game against the Dodgers where they were the that was the game they were expected to win and they lost that one. They had two games against St. Louis where they were expected to win and they lost both of those. And then even in the Mets and Tampa series, while it's great to take teams like the Mets and Tampa and win two out of three and win that home series, in each series, the one game the Cubs lost was the one where they had the higher win expectancy. And the Fangraphs win expectancy is not a perfect stat. It certainly does not mean you're going to win. But it's just setting up. Those are games where you have some favorables going your way. And you need to take advantage of those. Now, I don't think with all those games, you know, that's that's 23 games. Again, when the Cubs are favored, um, have the higher win expectancy, out of 23 games, they're not going to go 19-4. and four. But they shouldn't be going 8-15 and 15 if they think they're going to be a serious playoff contender. So, all that said, the Cubs have gone through this schedule and they have given some of those games away. They've given a lot of those games away. And... In this division, they don't have to flip a ton. I mean, if the Cubs had five more wins out of all this mess, you know, they'd be two and a half games better in the standings. They'd be two games out, and they'd be two games under five hundred. Um, and that would be probably not a place we'd be thrilled about, but that's a place that would be kind of a fine place to be right now. Then they could go on the West Coast, hope for a you know five five split, come home, get your wins, hang around, be a couple games out at the All Star break. And then hopefully feast on that second half schedule. But this team, and we've seen it time and time and time again, when it looks like things are going to get good, when it looks like things can turn for the better, they don't. So I want to talk a little bit about today with, with all this missed opportunity. Why? And I'll start with the game, the last game against Tampa. You know, that, that series was incredible. I mean, Marcus Stroman pitched an absolute gem, absolutely shoved the ball down the raised throat for nine innings just was totally dominant and it was so much fun to watch. And then the next day, you know, the Cubs got a good start and they got good bullpen performances from several guys. We saw Merriweather, we saw Leiter, we saw um, Azalea go out there for a two inning save and those guys just shut the door. And it was a two to one win. Again, it was a the most potent offense in baseball. And really for the entire series, even counting the four games and four runs in game three, you know, over seven games, you held the race to seven runs. You face the highest offense in baseball. And it's a race team that does not have a particularly strong bullpen on their own. Not like they typically do. Usually that's a shutdown pen if you have to do your damage against the starters. But this year that pen's beatable, and the Cubs just couldn't do enough. You know, that's a series, again, I hate saying the Cubs needed to sweep the Rays. I would never have said that going into the series, but the way those games went, that's a huge, huge missed opportunity and a huge, huge momentum turn. If the Cubs go in, even with the getting swept by Cincinnati, if the Cubs go out and sweep the Rays, we are all feeling so good right now. And all I've seen on Twitter since 
about the seventh inning of that game on Thursday, uh, Wednesday, yesterday, was just so much negativity. And I get it. I'm there for it. You know, I feel the same way. And it's so easy. This team is so close. And it's so close and yet so far away, right? It's game after game after game. They do this all the time. And, you know, Jed talked about it in the offseason. He said good teams blow teams out. And they do. And they're not going to blow them out a ton of times. But the Cubs just are not having that many blowout games. And when that happens, that means you are putting that pressure on your team to execute in the margins every single day. And that just exposes all the flaws that you have as a team. So, I mean, you look at um, if you go back and look at Fangraph's high leverage statistics, one of the, frankly, one of the lower performing teams in that category over the last decade is the 2016 Cubs. But nobody noticed because the Cubs blew the doors off so many teams so consistently. They didn't have to win in the margins all the time. Now, in the postseason, they had to, and they managed to get it done, although I think it probably took about 15 years off all of our lives in that World Series. But you can hide some of the flaws that way. You know, ideally, you have something that, you know, they're kind of like three areas. In football, they talk about offense, defense, and special teams. In baseball, you've got the offense, you've got starting pitching, and you've got the bullpen. You can mask bad pitching with a good offense to an extent. You can ma- you can mask a bad offense with good pitching to an extent. And the Cubs aren't really bad anywhere. I mean, they're above average offensively. They're above average pitching-wise. They are, if you break out starters, the Cubs are above average in, in a lot of starting pitcher metrics. And if you look at relievers, they're actually kind of right in the middle of all bullpens. So they're, they are an average bullpen overall. They, they have like one more. They've got a FIP of 405 and an XFIP of 407. So they're not, they've not been particularly lucky or particularly unlucky. They've not been particularly bad. They've been fine. And fine is a relative thing. Sometimes fine is good enough and sometimes it's not. And then in this case, and we'll dive into it a little bit deeper here, but when you look at the offense, the Cubs offense overall, they're up in run score. They are, you know, top third in WRC plus. They are performing fine as an offense on the whole. But when you dig deeper, you get into those leverage spots, things break down. And so when you have a team that's playing all of their games in this tight little box because you're not blowing teams out, um, because you're either your bullpen is not locked down or you're not getting enough runs across you're exposing those weaknesses every single day. So let, let's dig into that a little bit here. Um, and then we'll talk about, in that game, how that all manifests itself in the, in the Rays game. So when you look at overall offensive numbers, you know, the Cubs are 11th in WRC plus at 104. So they're slightly above average offense. You look at Woba... And sorry, I'm kind of sorting these on the fly as we go. They're 10th. They're top third. If you look at overall war, the Cubs are 10th. So the Cubs are consistently, when you look at these measurements, they are top third. They're Now they're just barely bottom third on strikeouts at 
rate, which is a little bit higher than what you'd want to see. But the Cubs are, I think, their third in walk rate. Let me check that here real quick. Yeah, the third in walk rate at 9.9%. So the Cubs are walking, they're getting on base. And But when you take that a, a little bit deeper and you look at you know, men in scoring position, the Cubs are 18th. They have a WRC plus of 96. 98, sorry, I misread that. So they're kind of middle of the pack, just, just below middle of the pack. So let's change the filter a little bit. So let's go from men in scoring position to high leverage situations. And that's going to be your close and lights. That's going to be what we saw in the eighth and the ninth inning against Tampa. And when you look at that, you know, the, the Cubs, if you just look at pure OPS, the Cubs are 27th. If you look at K-rate, in those situations, the Cubs are middle of the pack. So they're not striking out a ton necessarily in those situations. But then you look at the WRC plus and the Cubs are 28th in baseball at 67. So when they're in those situations, those clutch situations, and it seems like the team's not coming through, it's because they're not. And you can break that down. The Cubs have, as you'd expect, their better hitters are doing a little bit more. Um, if you break the team down and look at the component parts and we're in high leverage situations, you know, Ian Happ is a 163 WRC plus. Mike Talkman is 151. He's he's been great lately, so I hope um, I'm glad he's up to fill in for Bellinger while he's out. He probably should still continue to get some level of bats when Bellinger's back. Um, Jan Gomes is 146. Edwin Rios, surprisingly, is 130. Luis Torrens was 120. But again, like those those guys have two plate appearances, so you know you do something once, um, and it really helps your numbers out. Um, you look at Trey Mancini, 107. Eric Cosmer was 104, surprisingly. But who did we not hear on that list? We didn't hear Seiya Suzuki, who has a WRC plus of 70. We didn't hear Patrick Wisdom at 63. We didn't hear Nico Horner at 42. We didn't hear Nick Madrigal or Cody Bellinger at 23. We didn't hear Dansby Swanson with a 17 WRC plus in high leverage spots. Christopher Morrell at negative 20. Tucker Barnhart, negative 47. Miles Mastroboni at three. You know, so so guys are not getting it done in those situations. And so compound that, you know, I talked about the pitchers here a second ago. And if you look at the Cubs relievers, like I said, they're you can go look at most of the stats that matter. They're pretty much league average in the bullpen. When you look though at high leverage situations, things flip. You know, Pitt, Pittsburgh leads baseball with a um, bullpen FIP of 2.42. They have an XFIP of 2.89. So maybe they've been a touch lucky, but not a ton. I mean, that's still that's still the best XFIP in baseball. So they're still the best bullpen either way. But when you look at the Cubs, you know, the, the bullpen's FIP is 6.33. And their XFIP is 5.02. So they've been, been a little bit unlucky, but 5.02 is still bad. I mean, let me sort that. But 502 is now, okay, their XFIP would have them a little bit better than Oakland. But that's terrible. And so when you put those two things together, you're in a close game late, day after day after day after day. And the offense is not coming through, and the bullpen is not getting it done. And you combine those two things, and that's how 
a two nothing lead turns into a you know a three a four two deficit or sorry to a uh, sorry that's how you can blow a couple leads like the Cubs did against Tampa. So let's go through that Tampa game. So Justin Steele comes out and he is just dealing. I mean, he was throwing so well, nine up, nine down, looked sharp, looked like. Tampa had no idea what to do with him. And the Cubs got a couple runs early. The Cubs were aggressive. They got guys on base early. They stole bases. They got a couple hits in the first inning, scored two, got up 2 nothing. And you have to know, I mean, the Cubs did pretty well hold Tampa down the entire series. But a team like Tampa, I mean, you look at the offensive numbers. Let me go back to this league chart. You know, full season, WRC+. Plus, Tampa Bay's at 134, and second place is Texas at 118. So, I mean, Tampa this season, and that was, was even more than that before the Cubs series, but, you know, they are almost 20% better than the second place team, let alone everybody else. I'm oh, sorry, about, uh, yeah, about 20, 25% better than the second place team. And so the Cubs had that offense. You know that offense is not going to stay down. You cannot just assume that team is not going to score anymore. And so, you know, you get those games and you get in those situations. And so the the Cubs got the lead. And then, unfortunately, Justin Steele had to leave with injuries, so I'm kind of shaking out his arm. We heard after the game that Steele had had some, I guess, throbbing in his elbow before the game and was trying to loosen it up. And then they were monitoring it during the game. And just didn't feel great about it. So took him out as a precaution. I, I have seen reports today, and this is on Thursday, that the imaging came out relatively clean. I think it's expected that Steele's hopefully only going to miss one start. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully this really was precautionary. Hopefully this really is a minor thing. Anytime you leave with forearm tightness, it's very easy to think about those elbow injuries. I mentioned that with Brad Boxberger last week. I hadn't heard updates. I have heard updates that he started to throw, so hopefully that's promising that he doesn't have any major elbow injury. But we'll continue to monitor that. But so Hayden Wesneski, who was just recalled, um, came in the game. And Wesneski was fantastic. He looked like Wes Nasty that we saw in spring training. He took the game to the seventh. The Cubs were still up 2 nothing. The Tampa at that point only had one hit, and that hit was pretty questionable. There was a hard ground ball to Dansby that he had in his glove, dropped it, threw to first, Almost got the guy out, but basically only the runner was only safe because Dansby dropped the ball and they scored it a hit. They were talking on the telecast before everything kind of melted down that the score might go back and change that to a to an error if it turned out to be the only hit. But so Wisniewski came out in the top of the seventh. He got Harold Ramirez to strike out swinging. He got Isaac Paredes to ground out, and then he walked Manny, Manuel Margot. And so with Margot on first. He had a lefty coming up, and one of the controversial decisions, and we'll talk more about David Ross here in a minute, but David Ross made the decision to take Wesneski, take Wesneski out of the game and go to Mark Leiter Jr. And Mark Leiter Jr. has been arguably the best arm in the Cubs bullpen this year, the most consistent, and he's also been the best against lefties. That split he throws is, has just been a lefty killer this year. He's gotten so many big outs against the left-handers. Now, if I'm in David Ross's spot, I probably don't pull Wesneski. He was looking really good. Lighter just threw the day before. You know, Alzale threw two innings. I'm I'm going to try to get Wesneski through the seventh. And so I only have to deal with six outs out of the, out of what could be a tiredish bullpen, given 
that the high leverage guys work the day before. But he didn't. And but I will say it's a I thought it was a perfectly defensible decision to go to Mark Leiter Jr. You got a tough lefty coming up who's already seen Wisniewski once that day. And so it's uh, it's perfectly reasonable to go make that call. And it didn't work. But we if we're going to judge a manager and make decisions on whether a manager should be fired or not, it's not just about the outcome, because I'm certainly not comparing Mark Leiter Jr. to Mariano Rivera. That would be stupid. But even the best closers come in, you know, it's, it's the ninth inning, it's save time, or it's the eighth and bases are juiced in a one run game. And you just, you're going to go to your closer right then. Sometimes it doesn't work. doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. And in this case, I thought that it was a perfectly defensible decision. Now, unfortunately, Leiter threw a pitch that didn't move. It hung middle, middle. And that's what happens. Brandon Lau hit it out. Brandon Lau's a good hitter. It was his ninth home run. And the game's tied 2-2. But the game's tied 2-2. Like, the game is not over at that point. Um, and then he struck out Christian Bethancourt. So, Leiter got out of that inning, five pitches, and the Cubs come up, and the Cubs push a run across. They actually were a little bit clutch in that inning. It was great. Um, Trey Mancini hit a single. Unfortunately, he is just slow as molasses, and I don't know what that slide was, but um, he got thrown out of second base trying to make it a double. That hurt. That was the third out. Uh, Mancini at first, not necessarily wheels, um, but it would have extended the inning and let another person come to bat, and then who knows what happens. But in that case, he did put the Cubs ahead, so kudos to him for that. And then they came back out. And I was, again, I was fine with Leiter staying out there. Um, But then after being a little bit shaky the inning before, he walks the first guy on four pitches. At that point, if I'm going to have beef with a Ross bullpen decision in that game, that's the point. Um, you had guys up in the bullpen. You could have gone at that point. Um, I probably would have pulled lighter right there and move on. But he didn't, and Jose Siri hit his 10th home run, and now the Cubs are down 4-3. So they blew a 2-0 lead, and then they blew a 3-2 lead. And so Adbert Alzali comes in. Um, I don't know if I would have gone to Alzali in the 8th, but um, they did, and that's fine. I mean, that's a perfectly fine place to go because at that point – you're probably, you kind of know you're not going to get too much more, but you hope you can stay in the game. And Alzale gets out of it. And the Cubs come up. And then the last two innings is where you're kind of a little bit bad in both areas, right? Like Leiter did not have his stuff, gave up two home runs and gave up four runs. Um, technically, three of them were, or one of them was charged to Wisniewski. But so you come up and you know, the Cubs start that inning. Miles Mastroboni, who I'll take it. Send me send me your criticism. I mean, I, I talked about Miles Mastroboni last week, and I don't understand the Cub fans' hatred for Mastroboni given his small sample size and what he's done. But he's also not performing. So I totally I, I understand it. I still don't understand why he gets as much hate as he does when, you know, you want to look at and complain that Miles Mastroboni is, you know, as a three WRC plus in high leverage situations. That's fine, but we walked through it. You know, Saya, Dansby, Nico. Well, so many of those guys are not getting it done either. So I don't understand the, you know, having so much hate for Mastroboni, like getting rid of your 26th player and replacing him with a different 26th player on the roster is going to fundamentally change this offense. It's not. Um, But it it is entirely possible that Mastroboni is playing his way back down to Iowa at this point. 
we'll see where things go. But he had a good at bat in the eighth inning. So he, he drew a walk, got on base, stole second. And then Christopher Morel came in to pinch hit and struck out. As, you know, again, Christopher Morel, he's going to be streaky. He's going to be hot and cold. He's been cold lately, and he didn't start this game. And probably for good reason. I don't know that that was a great pitching matchup for him. But when he doesn't get regular bats, you know, he's, he's probably even a little bit less reliable than normal. But then Nico Horner singles, so it's great. So now Master Boney's on third. I did see some complaints about the Cubs not sending Master Boney home on that one, but I thought, I mean, he was barely past third base, and Rosarena, who was an absolute cannon, already had a laser on its way into the cutoff man, which is a perfect strike. Um, if Willie Harris had sent Miles Master Boney on that one, Master Boney would have been out by 30 feet. So it was, it was the right hold, and then, you know, there's one out, and you've got Dansby Swanson up, so you're feeling pretty good. Dansby's a guy who has a good reputation for being clutch. His, his career numbers are pretty good in leverage, so I'm hoping that what he's done this year is sort of just, you know, so, some level of noise that will average out as the season goes on. As I talk about a lot, like people who get off to super cold starts, super hot starts, unless something has really fundamentally changed with their game. Um, like they're a young player who's now is making strides. Or they're an old player who is losing a step, losing bat speed, losing velo. For the most part, when a guy has kind of established a norm, you're going to typically play more and more towards the norm as the season goes. You might have a bad year, but if, if you're normally a good hitter and you have a really bad first month, you're probably going to tend to make it up later. Um, so I'm hoping that's what happened was, happens with Dansby. But he struck out swinging. And then Ian Happ came up and worked a full count. Maybe it was 2-2. Two, two. No, it was a full count. I'm pretty sure it was six pitches. Um, and struck out looking. And it was a it was a bad call. I'm torn on, you know, it was, it was where the pitch actually wound up was close enough to go protect with two strikes. But it was a you know, a sweeping slider coming from off the plate that never got all the way back to the plate. So, you know, if, if Ian Happ, if the, whether it's Ian Happ or not, if the batter reads that as being significantly outside, but then the ball has a huge amount of break on it, um, you can just, it's very easy to make the wrong call and, and see a pitch that you think is going to be four or five inches off the plate and it winds up two inches off the plate and you get rung up. But either way, that's two times, and, and Dansby in particular, not being able to make contact. You know, at that point, I'm pretty sure Tampa did not have the infield in, but Miles Masterboni's pretty quick. You know, a lot of options there. You know, get a fly ball to the outfield, he can tag up. Get a ball the opposite way on the ground. And there's a good chance he's going to score. And then Ian Hamp came up, and you don't have those other options, but put a ball in play, make the defense do something, and they didn't. And so two strikeouts, inning over, two men left on base, and there's two guys with chances late in the game to get a run in and couldn't do it. You know, Nico couldn't, or uh, yeah, Nico couldn't get miles in from second base, but he did have a single and advanced him to third. So like, that's, that's positive. I will take that a hundred times out of a hundred. Then you go to the next inning and the Cubs gotten a little bit of damage, but they were able to get out of it without a run scoring. So they come up in the ninth and say Suzuki flied out to start the inning, but then Mike Talkman drew a walk. He's had some really good at-bats lately, and one thing I really like about him is he seems to have a really good plan when he steps in the box, and he gives you a competitive, competent at-bat pretty much every time I can remember seeing him. He's 
had a lot of hits. He's gotten some walks, but he'll make a pitcher work. He'll run up, you know, five, six pitches on the pitch count and be competitive. And then, you know, Ed, they bring in Edwin Rios to pinch hit. I think just hoping he'll run into one and get something up and out. Um, but he got hit, hit by a pitch. So now it's first and second. They got a runner in scoring position. And again, one out. And then you got, you know, Patrick Wisdom's up. I'm not going to nag on him too much. I mean, there really was an error. There was a um, ball was fielded by Isaac Paredes at third base and just made a bad throw to second base. So, you know, there was basically a defensive miscue in there and everybody was safe. And so, you know, he didn't get ahead. He didn't drive in a run, but I'll take it. Again, like I was talking about with Dansby Swanson, he put the ball in play and something happened. And so now they come up and you got Miles Mastroboni up with less than two outs and you got bases loaded. So you, again, you've got options. You've got hit a ball the other way, get something to the outfield, you know, whatever. And he's miles is a guy who does walk a lot. He's his huge walk numbers in the minor leagues. And he's had a pretty good walk rate in the major league so far. And he worked to count deep. He got to three balls. Um, he swung at a three, one pitch that was up. It was, it was borderline. I, I think it was going to clip the zone. Um, probably wasn't the pitch he's really looking for 3-1, though. So, you know, if you take it, who knows, maybe they call ball four. And then, unfortunately, on 3-2, he chased. So, you know, for the people who hate Miles Mastroboni and say he's not good, that at-bat certainly did nothing to change anyone's opinion. And then we get Jan Gomes up, and Jan Gomes, you know, worked count, battled in there, hit a ball hard, but it was you know, a very catchable line drive to left field, and game's over. So when you look back at it, the last two innings with a runner in scoring position late in the ball game, Christopher Morrell, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, Miles Mastroboni, and Jan Gomes didn't get it done. That's, that's five guys with a shot. That's 0 for 5 in the last two innings of one single game to not get a run across. At the same time where one of the, your primary relievers did not have a good day. And maybe something could have changed. You know, you can rethink those decisions. And in hindsight, it's twenty twenty. You know, some people I'm sure will still tell me that they absolutely thought Wisniewski should have stayed in. And like I said, I would have left him in. But then if Wisniewski gives up the home run to the lefty, who's already seen him once that day, people probably aren't as mad about it. But then you're just shucking on people saying, "Well, they had lighter ready, and lighter kills lefties. Why didn't they bring lighter in?" And so you can rethink those things. I don't like to litigate too much based on outcome. I like to think a lot more about the process, the point in the game, how the flow is going. Um, sometimes playing it by the book, by the numbers is absolutely the right call. Sometimes you have to pull in a little bit more feel. But in the end, I think the most important thing is you make competitive decisions. And p- part of the issue, I talked about this last episode because Jed made a comment about it is he doesn't see a lot of this being on Ross because he knows that there are flaws in the roster. And one of the challenges is right now, David Ross, not, not only is the bullpen not performing, but the guys who he would consider the circle of trust is really small right now. I mean, Michael Fulmer started there. He is long gone out of the circle of trust. Um, Jeremiah Estrada has had some moments and he's they're starting to give him some leverage situations, but he's not all the way there. Um, and there are some things about him that are worrisome. He's, he's walking too many guys 
And when he does, he does have a huge strikeout rate, you know, north of 40%, which is great. But when he gives up contact, he's given up a lot of hard contact. So when you start, you can start combining walking guys and hard contact. There are going to be some games where it's going to be a disaster out there. And you look around, I mean, Michael Rucker got sent down. Um, Brad Boxberger's been hurt, but Boxberger's been terrible. Um, just on and on and on out of the bullpen. I think the guys he trusts right now are Edward Azalai, Mark Leiter Jr., and Julian Merriweather, who fans kind of, a lot of fans wrote off after his, just had a horrific first outing where he gave up five runs in two-thirds of an inning. And then I think it was his third, third outing, he gave up like two more runs. So his ERA was torched on his first three outings. But he's been quite good since then. I mean, he's, he's throwing hard. He's getting a lot of strikeouts, a lot of swing and miss. It's been a nice addition to the bullpen. Now the Cubs, well, we'll see what happens with Justin Steele. Um, Hayden Wisniewski may have to make a couple starts. Um, but they brought up Wisniewski to be in the bullpen. Now I don't know exactly how they plan to use him, um, whether it's going to be in sort of that piggyback long roll so they sort of keep him stretched out. Or I think one thing the Cubs are looking at right now is just trying to increase arm talent in the bullpen. You look at some teams like Houston, Atlanta, the Dodgers were doing this for a while. They just have, it seems like a stable of young arms come up every year and they just got guy after guy after guy that's got velo and movement and just filthy, nasty stuff. And the Cubs haven't had that. I mean, they have not had enough swing and miss. We've, I talked about it with Greg Huss a few weeks ago. Um, I've talked about it on my own. I mean, they, they don't have enough of those guys. So when you're, again, you're in these close and late situations, your offense has maybe scored a couple runs, you're in the ball game, but you can't necessarily count on them to, you know, get another one or two, get some of that insurance late. And you basically have to be perfect. And if you are not swinging this stuff, then, you know, you're relying on even a softly hit ball. I mean, that freaking red series, they, they did hit some smashes, but for, there were so many balls in that series that just were little flares over second base, little ground balls that, you know, just between the infielders and they couldn't get to. It just felt like the um, Reds were basically pounding the Cubs with paper cuts. Um, and that's what's frustrating when you're not getting enough swing and miss. So the Cubs are trying to up their arm talent. You know, they've, they've brought up Wisniewski, um, Rutgers down, you know. And when you look at the minor leagues, they're taking some guys like Daniel Palencia, converting them to relief, promoting them to Iowa. And you've got some big, big arms that are going there. But again, like Jeremiah Estrada just has filthy stuff. Like if you look at his actual stuff and the rating on his pitches, so it gets great. But he's not quite put in together yet, which is big picture. That's okay. He's a young player. He's got time. Um, I'm optimistic he's going to get there. But in this bullpen right now, when the Cubs have, frankly, used up a huge amount of any margin for error that they had coming into the season... It's a, it's a tough time to hope that a young guy is going to have it. Um, hopefully somebody will, and hopefully the Cubs are getting to that point over the next year where they do just maybe have arm after arm after arm. You know, Daniel Palencia, Luke Little, Cam Sanders is still down in Iowa, but he's big strikeout rates, lost swing and mess, but he's also walking a ton of guys, so that's worrisome. The Cubs have another couple guys, uh, Vinny Natoli, who we saw in spring training, and, and Tyler Duffy who both pitched well and both have June 1 opt-outs on their contracts. So the Cubs now have about 48 hours to decide whether they're going to pick up those guys or they'll have the 
chance to opt for free agency. And my guess is they'll take it. I mean, those opt-outs go in for a reason. These are guys who think they can pitch at the big league level and they just want a shot. And so they, you know, made the minor league roster out of spring training. They've pitched well and the, and the Cubs can go or not. And, and I don't have a strong opinion. Like they're, Vinny Natoli in particular has had um, a lot of swing and miss rate. Uh, Duffy has as well. I haven't looked at his numbers quite as recently as Natoli's. Um, so I'm not saying the Cubs have to pick these guys up because the Cubs are also in a position where the 40-man roster is, well, we can all say whether or not you know we feel it's as talented as it could be. The 40-man roster is getting more and more filled by young guys that the Cubs, I think, you know, want to keep around and have some promise for. So the Cubs are already going to have to move somebody off the 40-man roster when Cody Hoyer is ready. He is eligible to come back. He was um, supposed to pitch. I don't know exactly what the timeline is. It wouldn't surprise me. He probably has about another week. I'd have to go back to when he started his official rehab. When he started rehab assignment, you got 30 days to finish it um, and for the Major League Club to activate you. I think the next like seven to ten days, that's going to hit. Um, so somebody will have to go, but you know, it's certainly not going to be Edward Azalei. It's not going to be Javier Assad, um, unless Brad Boxberger does have a more serious injury and goes to the sixty-day IL. He's not going anywhere. You can't DFA a guy while he's on the injured list. Um, ben Brown's <clears throat> in AAA. You're certainly not going to cut him off the active roster. Nick Birdie's out with his appendectomy. You look up and down this roster and. Maybe they decide they've seen enough of Michael Fulmer. Um, I still think he's probably fixable, whether it's with the by the Cubs or by somebody else. But I could absolutely justify taking Michael Fulmer off this roster and moving on. Um, I think he'll pitch reasonably well for somebody later in the season. But honestly, you know, I I can't expect the Cubs to just wait on that forever. Um, looking further down the list, you know, earlier in the season, I might have said Julian Merriweather was a candidate, but absolutely not right now. I mean, he's one of the best arms in that bullpen. Um, you know, maybe Michael Rucker. He's had his struggles. Um, I've not largely been a fan of Michael Rucker, but he did have a stretch earlier this season where he was looking pretty good, and I was starting to come around on him. But he's been pretty rough lately. Then you go to the position player side, and maybe they move Tucker Barnhart. I think the challenge with Barnhart is, well, he can't hit, but he really could never hit. So it's the Cubs are getting exactly what they signed. I know he's frustrating a lot of fans, especially on days when you have maybe Mastroboni and Mancini and Barnhart all in the same lineup or Hosmer back before the Cubs cut him loose. But he is a good defensive catcher. He's a good game manager. I mean, he caught, you know, Stroh's gem the other day. Um, he caught the last game, so he, he was catching steel, going nine up, nine down. He caught Wesneski through that game. So, I mean, he's... He's a quality game caller back there. But you do have a Miguel Amaya just tearing it up in AAA. Now, the one thing I will continue to say on Amaya is he's not had a full healthy season since 2018, so I don't know what kind of load he's going to be able to manage this year and, and stay healthy. Um, but as long as he is healthy, he needs to be getting number one reps. He has missed so much time. So right now, if the Cubs are going to bring him up and stash him and have him start one or two games out of every five – He's probably better off in Iowa, but he showed when he came up here, you know, he didn't put up massive offensive numbers, but he hit the hard and he, you know, did a good job with the pitchers. He had Kyle Hendricks raving, raving about him from his time throwing down in Iowa. 
So I don't think Tucker Barnhart is somebody that the Cubs are going to cut at this point. And it's kind of dangerous to not go through three catchers. If, if Amaya comes up and struggles then or Jan Gomes gets hurt, and then you're kind of fishing off the scrap heap for catchers. And that we saw that a couple of years ago. That's just a total crap show. Um, <clears throat> but looking, you know, they're probably no position players unless the Cubs work a trade somewhere. No infielders the Cubs are going to drop. Um, even if you hate Miles Mastroboni, he's still got option years left. He's a guy who's hit at every level of the minor leagues. I could absolutely see the Cubs sending him back down to Iowa, but I don't see them DFAing him. Especially, you know, I've, I've seen complaints this week. Like last year, by the end of the season, everybody was wondering why Zach McKinstry was getting so much run, so much playing time. He didn't hit with L.A., he didn't hit with Chicago. But like Miles, he had hit everywhere up through the system. And now that he's getting a chance to play every day, and, and maybe there's something about the Cubs' approach. He made a comment about the Cubs wanting him to pull the ball and drive the ball more. And Detroit's just kind of letting him do what he's always done naturally. Maybe there's something there, but he's having a great season in Detroit. So I don't see Miles Mastroboni in his, you know, 55 plate appearances at the major league level and say definitively he's not going to be able to play. Now he's two for his last 30-something, so there's only so much, you know, you can maybe put up with. Um, but I don't think he's a guy who's going to get DFA'd. You know, Mike Talkman was somebody who was probably a risk. Um but the way he's playing, I think you keep him around as the fourth outfielder. Um, Edwin Rios, actually, yeah, he's really listed as a DH, but DH third baseman. He's probably a guy who's very much at risk for being TFA'd. Um, so there are a couple spots. So when you look at guys like Natoli and Duffy, you know, you're moving two guys off. You're going to have to move a third guy off to get Hoyer in. And... Maybe that's okay. Maybe they can do that. But then you also, um, you know, at some point, if they want to bring up Daniel Palencia, they just have to look at these things and, and decide, you know, is Natoli or Duffy or both worth it to get them up right now and see what they can do? And then again, like they can bring these guys up. If they go have two, three bad outings and you need a spot for Hoyer, maybe you cut one of those guys then. The Cubs certainly did that some last year. But these roster decisions are getting tougher because – you know, there are just a number of guys on the 40-man roster that you're keeping because they're prospects and because of the Rule 5 risk that they ran over the last couple off-seasons. You know, Nelson Velazquez, Brennan Davis, Alexander Canario, Kevin Alcantara, Miguel Amaya, um, just, you know, Brian Jensen. A bunch of these guys, Ben Brown, are not, they're not going anywhere. You know, they're, they're not going to get cut to clear space. Those guys get snapped up in a second. So, you know, what the Cubs do, we'll see, but the Cubs have got to get better in the margins. Now, some of this, the Cubs may benefit by some regression to the mean because most of these hitters have better career numbers than what they're showing. But there's also a, a kind of a mental factor to it too. And I remember when I was talking to David De Silva in the offseason, like there's a point where guys press and they get out of their normal routine they don't you know he talked a lot about staying in the moment um and when the whole team is struggling like this when it's consistently in close games you're just not pushing that extra run across and the bullpen is maybe not holding that one run lead or keeping that game tied to give your offense a chance to win it in the end there gets to be you know there's there's a lot of contagiousness to it hitting i've always believed hitting is contagious from the 
youth level when I'm coaching seven-year-olds all the way up to the big league level. Like you start seeing a bunch of guys hit, everybody's loose, and it's a good approach at the plate. You've got pressure on the pitcher, and things go. Things go the other way, and everybody's tensing up a little bit. Everybody's pressing. The I, I think they have a bunch of pros. I don't necessarily think there's a problem in the clubhouse, but I'm sure the clubhouse is tight. And I don't know, um, you know, it's kind of David Ross's job to figure that out. But these guys just need to hit. And when when you get down in, in talking more about David Ross, when you look at these choices, there are some limitations. You know, he only has the guys he has in the bullpen. You know, Mariano Rivera is not there. Craig Kimbrell is not in that bullpen. Andrew Chafin, David Robertson are not in that bullpen. And we can all do the, you know, Jed should have signed Chafin, he should have signed Robertson, he should have gone after whoever. The fact is right now he didn't. So when David Ross is in a tight game, and it's, again, it's day after day after day, he has to go down that bullpen, and they they know who's available, who's not, but he's got to make a decision. And a lot of times he's making a decision between a bunch of guys who have shown that they're not getting it done or not getting it done consistently enough. Or he's having to pull in a guy that he probably knows he's worked a little bit too much over the last 10 days because those are the only guys he trusts in those situations. I mean, I've seen, you know, why are you going to Michael Fulmer? But it's the the fifth inning. You know, that's not a tight and late situation. You're not going to go to your closer in the fifth. Um, There just aren't a lot of good choices. And then the lineup construction, there have been some oddball lineups he's put out there for sure. But you still need to rotate guys. You know, one, Actually, one of my bigger complaints with Ross this year has been that the, kind of the two guys at the bottom of the bench in terms of position players just aren't getting playing time. Like, we will, we may not see Edwin Rios for two weeks, and then all of a sudden they're going to call on him to pinch hit with the bases loaded and two outs in the ninth. Um, you know, it's – I don't want to say it's not fair. It's his job and it's fine. But if a guy is not getting regular work, you just don't you don't just keep that timing. Like you need some level of work. And maybe Rios isn't a guy who's gonna get two starts out of every five games, but once a week maybe he starts. Maybe he pinch hits two or three times during the week and it's just not happening. And so I think he's sort of, I think Ross is kind of cutting off his own options to some extent that way. Um but then with the roster construction, like, you know, you do your best with it and based on who's available. One thing we don't know is when, um, you know, like when the Cubs were in Houston and Christopher Morrell didn't make that catch that led to the Astros getting four runs off Jamison Tyone in the first inning of that game. You know, Christopher Morrell was in left and Hap was DHing that day. And Ross said after the game that, you know, Hap said he needed to at least, you know, get off his legs for that day. Like these guys feel their bodies. Nobody is healthy by the second half of the season. Um, I talked about it with, you know, last fall, one of the first guests on my podcast was Chris Fasami, who's a hitting coach here in Charlotte, who played for the Rockies organization. He would, he's a big, strong guy. He's a big dude. Um, and he would tell me how, you know, he would come into the season, not out of shape, but he would come in with kind of some extra bulk because over the season, you're just not going to sustain your weight. You're going to drop a few pounds, by the middle of the season, a lot of guys are switching to a, light, a little bit lighter bat, take an ounce or a half an ounce or an ounce and a half off the bat. Again, to, to keep that bat swing up as your body gets tired. So these guys need that work. I mean, I know Dansby Swanson plays basically every day, and Nico Horner's pretty close, and that's fine. But 
not every guy is built that way. And sometimes I could argue, you know, maybe over the last couple of years, maybe Dansby Swanson should have sat a little bit more. Now he's not going to sit a ton. He's not going to sit a game a week, but you know, maybe playing 150, 155 as opposed to, you know, 160. Um, maybe that helps him stay just a little bit fresher. But when you're going to do that, that means the lineup is going to change. It means you're going to have a day without, say, a Suzuki. You're going to have a day without Dansby Swanson. Or you're going to have a day with, you know, Nico Horner's DH, kind of get him off his feet, um, play somebody else at second base. That's a way to get those bench guys some at-bats to stay fresh. Ross has probably had a few too many of the, uh, let's get three or four of those in one day sort of thing, especially on days where it's going to be Tucker Barnhart's time to catch and you've sort of got one offensive hole in the lineup already. But the other thing, too, that I don't think is getting quite enough attention when you look down the numbers I read through, there are professional hitters and professional pitchers on this team that just are not getting it done enough. And I'm sure that they would be the first. I'm sure Dansby Swanson would be the first one to tell you that he needs to deliver more in those situations right now. I'm sure Nico Horner would tell you the same. Like, those guys are pros. They work hard. They know what they're doing well, and they know what they're not doing well. But at some point, like, it can't be all about David Ross all the time. You know, I'll I'll see that, well, I see the lineup construction, and the Cubs are going to lose today. And maybe they will, and maybe the lineup construction does or does not play into that. But there are still nine guys who are going to go up there and bat three times each unless they're subbed out that have opportunities against their major league hitter. They are major league ball players playing against major league pitching, and they've got to get some stuff done. And sometimes you don't have your best arm available in the bullpen. Sometimes your best bullpen arm may come in and just his stuff is not moving that day and doesn't have it, walk a couple guys, and you got to pull them out. And it's on whoever comes up next to just get it done. I mean, nobody is going to get it done all the time. Um, even the best players in baseball have crappy days, go through slumps, get lit up for a while if they're a pitcher. Um, but you just, they, you got, as a team, you got to figure it out. Like, you know, guys who are going good have to make up for the guys that aren't going so good. The starters who are in the lineup maybe have to make up for the fact that, you know, one of your better hitters is out that day. And the Cubs are not, just not doing enough in the margins. And I don't know at this point, I mean, this division still sucks. I mean, David Ross <laughs> last week saying that, uh, well, I guess it's a good thing we're playing in a division where everybody's playing shitty. Um, pardon the profanity there, but that's that was his quote, and that's that's it. I mean, if the Cubs were behind, if the Cubs were in the AL East behind Tampa, they'd be just miles out of first place. Um, but they're four and a half out, and they're hanging these games now. They're going to have to just continue to rework that bullpen. I, I see a lot of calls for trades. Trades are tough at this time of year because you look at, especially with the expanded playoffs, that third wild card. You've got a couple divisions that are just mostly garbage. The the central divisions, um, the AL East and AL West are super strong. Some other teams in the National League, you know, the Mets and the Padres aren't performing the way people thought they would. Um, so there are a lot of teams still kind of hanging around the fringe of the playoff race. And you know, if you've got a tradable asset, there are absolutely going to be guys on the trade market. But right now, if you're kind of hanging around in a lousy division and teams aren't really ramping up the trade talks yet. It's, you know, it's not, it's not the point where you could be talking very actively with four or five teams to try to drive a price up on say a guy like a Chapman who's kind of having a rejuvenation in Kansas city. Like those, those guys just aren't really available right now unless, unless Jed calls up and overpays. Um, so there's not a lot you're going to be able to get through trade. 
And so you watch the waiver wire. Maybe there's somebody who, maybe a team is making a mistake cut and guys off to a slow start. Maybe the stuff is still there and they're going to DFA him and you have a chance to claim on waivers or try to get him as a free agent. There are a few of those guys you can work within your own system. I think that's why they're brought up Wisniewski to be in the bullpen. That's why they moved Luke Little and, and Daniel Palencia out of the starting rotation to the bullpen to try to use their live arms to try to make the Cubs bullpen better. So they'll get some additions that way. They can continue to play in the margins with the bats. Um, Nick Madrigal is scorching AAA. Now, Miles Mastroboni, when he got sat down the, sent down the first time, went down and posted a you know, WRC plus a 157 when he was down in AAA. So just because... Madrigal was struggling in the majors. And again, like we've, we've talked about his, you know, he had a WRC plus of like 64 when he got sent down and he was hitting 247. I mean, Nick Madrigal does not walk. He does not have much power. So for Nick Madrigal to have good value at the major leagues, he has to be hitting over 300 and he wasn't even close. So they sent him down. He's hitting over 500 in Iowa right now, which is great. I love to see it. I knew the Cubs wanted to send him down to go get those everyday at bats and get his back going. So maybe he comes up, maybe you flip him with Mastroboni, um, and you're making a trade-off there. Like Nick Madrigal is going to make more contact more contact than Miles Mastroboni, um, even though Mastroboni doesn't have a terrible strikeout rate. Um, but he's not going to walk hardly at all, and Mastroboni is walking quite a bit. So you're you're making a trade-off there. You're also getting a little bit less versatile of a glove. You know, Madrigal's best position is second base. He can play third. He can play a borderline adequate third base. But he just arm strength is his biggest limitation. He, if you get you get those plays down the line where, you know he's moving to the line, his momentum is taking him away from first base. He just he doesn't have the arm for that throw, um, and it's a long throw, and he's just not gonna be able to put enough on it consistently to make that play. And maybe that's a trade off you make. You know if he's hitting three thirty, that's a trade I'll make. You know I'm gonna give up a little bit of defense down the line, but he'll be competent mostly over there. You know he's not a guy that can play in the outfield. Maybe maybe you don't need that. Maybe you roll the dice with Talkman as the fourth outfielder um, when Bellinger comes back. Trey Mancini can theoretically play a little outfield, but the way he's moving these days, I don't know how great of an option that is. But there's not that much more at Iowa right now that's ready to come up. Brendan Davis is not off to a good start. Velasquez has been hitting pretty well, but he's struggled when he's been up in the bigs outside of, you know, he did have, the, have that one grand slam. But... Again, we're, we're, we're talking about guy number 23, 24, 25, 26 on the bench. That's only going to move the meter so much. You know, if, if Miles Mastroboni goes down and Nick Madrigal goes back to get those at-bats, you're going to have the difference between Madrigal and Mastroboni across, I don't know, 15, 20 play appearances a week max. You know, that, that doesn't fix that, you know, Dansby and Saya and Nico and Wisdom and Mancini and all those guys are not getting it done in high leverage situations. So I don't know what the answer is really. I mean, the, the Cubs have a roster that is theoretically good enough to compete for this division and they're still competing for this division. But the more and more games they give away, the more opportunities they lose by losing four out of five to the Reds and getting, you know, losing a couple games to Washington and getting swept by Miami and, you know, just all this stuff and, and taking games that are theoretically more winnable against teams like the Mets and Tampa and LA 
and those might be the the only game you lose in the series like those games are fine like no, nobody's super mad that the Cubs didn't sweep Tampa like I don't think we expected I, w- I was hoping to come out of that series with one win as well as they've been playing but it still is so frustrating to end that, especially the way that series ended that being the last game you know if, if they do that in game one coming off the red series like oh, here we go more of the same crap but then if you get the two to one win and then you close on like Stroh's great game then hey, we just won two in a row against the Rays. You know, still missed opportunity in game one, but, you know, we finished stronger. So we just often end on this down note as we go into the next series, and it's, it's frustrating as a fan. It's frustrating to have to – well, I don't have to go out and read Cubs Twitter, but I do because, you know, I don't know, we all do, and, and it's, we like torture. But you know, it's not fun to kind of end those series that way. It kind of sucks the joy out of looking ahead to the next series. But – I'll continue to watch. I'll continue to be optimistic. I still think this is a team that can go on a run at some point. The starting pitching has been very good. They've right now. Hopefully, they're getting to a point where they have a little depth. Hopefully, Steele doesn't miss many. Hopefully, Steele does only miss the one start. Kyle Hendricks has looked pretty good coming back. Wisniewski looked really good the other day. So, if Wisniewski can plug in for um, Steele, hopefully Tyone can get back on track. Um, got some things here we got ben brown throwing really well at iowa and he's probably getting close like in the next next big pitcher injury or if tyone can't figure it out and has to go to the bullpen um you know ben brown's maybe the next one up caleb killian has had some really good starts since he got sent down um if you're not following alex cohen the voice of the iowa cubs go do it he has tweets out a lot of really interesting and useful information and informative information about the iowa cubs um but there are arms there, so there is talent. It's there. I, I think, you know, obviously this was a team that we didn't expect to compete for the World Series, but they, they should be better than they are. So with that, well, let's look ahead to this next 10-game road trip. Hopefully the Cubs can go 6-4, and 7-3, and three, surprise us. You know, like I said, the, you know, in games where – the Cubs come in as the Fangraphs underdog. They're 16 and 15. So they're holding their own against the good teams, which frankly makes this really frustrating. Like if if, if the Cubs were just flipping a few of those games, I mean, they, they're 15 and 16 against um, those teams. They had two games against Texas where they were favored to win because Texas got off to a bit of a slow start. But Texas is tearing it up right now, and the Cubs beat them two out of three. You know, Seattle's a team that's probably going to be in the playoffs, and Cubs beat them two out of three. So the the Cubs can hang with the good teams. They just got to take advantage when they get opportunities. And it does mean that they're going to have to compete against the good teams now because the more that they use up this margin fair, the more that you, you lose four out of five against the Reds and you get swept by the swept by Miami and you lose two out of three to Washington and you drop a couple games in St. against St. Louis that you shouldn't lose – you're just you've got to make it up somewhere else. It means you're gonna to have to make it up against the good teams. So now the Cubs are going into a stretch of the season, like now through the All Star break, the schedule is going to be tough. I think there there are a couple of weak teams in there, but not many. It's it, it's a lot of good opponents. The rest of the the rest of that schedule, and the Cubs are going to have to do some damage there. They just are if they're going to stay in this race. If they're going to make a run at the Central. I mean, looking ahead, they've got four in San Diego. They've got three against the Angels and three against San Francisco. That's a 10-game road trip with no days off. Then they come back home, and we'll see how Pittsburgh's playing. They got 
off to a super quick start and then really came down to earth hard. But they've got two series against Pittsburgh, sandwiched around a series against Baltimore. Baltimore is really freaking good. Um, Then they've got St. Louis and they've got them in London. And then you come back home and you get Philadelphia, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and the Yankees to close out the rest of the first half. That's not going to be an easy stretch. I mean, through those games, I would have to check on Cleveland. Cleveland is not as good as they should be this year. But um, with the exception of St. Louis, basically everybody in that run is 500 or better. And those are going to be good teams. And if the, you know, the Cubs are not in a position where they can just win 40% of those and be okay. You know, like I said in the top at the top of this episode, if the Cubs go out and go five and five in this road trip, there's still seven games under five hundred and there are ten games left on the schedule. Or ten game ten fewer games left on the schedule for them to make up ground. So it's getting to be go time. And this is a team that is in a kind of a tightrope situation with regard to the trade deadline. I think it would be a really, really bad look for the front office if the Cubs are major sellers at the deadline. And the Cubs are going to have some things to sell if they want to go that route. I mean, Cody Ballinger, I think, was signed basically to either succeed and benefit that he's having a great year or sell at the deadline. And he's had had some ups and downs, but on the whole, he's been largely really good for the Cubs. Um, Hurt his knee making just a a ridiculous, fantastic catch in Houston. Got caught in that stupid chain link outfield fence that's just beyond ridiculous. Marcus Stroman has an opt-out in his contract, and the way he's pitching, there's probably a very real chance it's going to take it. Now, he, he's talked about wanting to be extended with the Cubs, and I think it would make a lot of sense to do it. It seems like he wants to be here. He's obviously still a high-quality pitcher. He's a little bit older, but, you know, um, they could tack on three to four years on the back end of that contract, give him a little bit more money, and you just have a nice, you know, maybe he doesn't have to be the ace, but he's going to be a good number two number three for easily the next five years i think um kyle hendricks if kyle hendricks comes back strong he's got a team option for next year the cubs may or may not take um but he becomes a tradable asset so you know patrick wisdom might have some value as as a bench power bat for somebody i mean i would hate to see the cubs sell off this team again i mean the jed when this all started with the U Darvish trade and he got a bunch of teenagers, he made the comment that it was not the age of those players was not indicative of what he thought the timeline was to come back to win. Well, they sold off in 21. They sold off again in 2022. And if they sell off again in 2023, you know, basically they're on the Owen Casey timeline. Um, and it's just a bad luck. You know, they, I understood that they had to move on from the old core. I think we've rehashed that too many times. Um, and it sort of made sense. I think having to move on from this group year after year after year, you know, the Cubs need to be building towards something. And you, you want to play in the top free agent space, you got to be able to convince those guys that come that, that they're going to win here. And the Cubs need to spend money, and the Cubs have, the Cubs have spent money. Um, we could argue whether they should spend more. I think next year we'll see them go over the – CBT threshold. I, I still think there's room if the Cubs can recover where they could actually add pieces this year and, and push closer to the CBT this year. But if you're going to go play in the space of trying to get Shohei Otani, and I know a lot of people just say that's a pipe dream, but I don't, 
I think there's a path forward if the Cubs can do things right. Now, at this point, again, margin for error is so small. Um, but if you're going to make try to make a serious play for Shohei Otani, he has said that he wants to win. And he's leaving, he would be leaving a Angels, Angels team that, despite having Mike Trout, despite having Shohei Otani, and despite having a couple other guys, they just don't win. Like, Mike Trout hasn't been in the playoffs since uh, 2014, 2015. And Shohei's never been there. So if, you have, if you're trying to make the case, and the Cubs were able to sell uh, Danzy Swanson on it this year, but if they go through another sell-off, I don't know if the odds are that you're going to make the case to Shohei Otani that you're a serious you know, contender in the next couple of years. Now he's going to sign a long deal, so it's a little bit more than just what are you doing in the next two years, but you know he'll probably sign for... Who knows? I, I I think before last off season, I thought he'd probably go for eight. I think there's, I think there's a little bit of hedge on on longevity in that contract based on how long you project him to be, you know, a starting pitcher and, and going deep in games. But certainly for the foreseeable future, for the next five years, next six years, barring major injury, I mean, that's a guy who's going to be prime pitcher, prime hitter, and worth every penny. So I don't know. If teams are going to be willing to go ten years, excuse me, go ten years on him at those rates, but you know certainly eight years. So the window to win is longer, and the Cubs certainly have a lot to sell. You know, twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five, twenty twenty six. But again, we're talking about prospects. We're talking about Pete Crow Armstrong and Owen Casey and Kevin Alcantara and Alexander Canario and and guys that look really really good. And some of them are putting up some huge numbers in the minor leagues. But Matt Mervis is putting up massive numbers in the minor leagues, and he's struggling like hell right now. And, you know, Miles Mastroboni, who I like more than most of you do, has hit at every level of the minors. He has not hit in the major leagues. And there's just no guarantee on these guys. So I, th- I think the Cubs have enough of those guys that I think some are going to hit. I think there are also enough guys that you, know, you can work some trades and then bring in some supplementing, su- supplementary pieces. But there are no guarantees. The Cubs just have to get better. Guys have to do their job. You know, Ross probably has to clean up the decision-making a little bit. Chad has to work at the margins to see how, can, how he can make this roster better. But when push comes to shove and we've got Dansby Swanson up with men on base in a tie game or we're down one and there's a run there to drive in, got to at least move the guy around. Got to at least put a ball in play. Give yourself a chance. And right now the guys aren't doing it. And it's all in the margins, like, yeah, we talked about the top. This team, you look statistically, they're pretty good offensively. They're pretty good pitching. Even if you break the pitching up, they're pretty good with the starting pitching, and they're pretty average with the relief. And if it was relief, average relief across the board, if they were average, putting up average numbers in leverage situations, yeah, this team would be a lot better off. It would be at least a few wins better, maybe more. Um, but you just you combine, you know, poor leverage offense with poor leverage pitching and you play a crap ton of one run and two run games this is what you're going to get you're going to get these stretches where they can beat a good team a couple times and then inexplicably get swept at home by the reds so that's enough for today um hopefully the cubs can get something done on this road trip otherwise uh we may have another you know not so fun conversation next week Thank you for joining me today. If you liked the discussion, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. 
Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out the Patreon page, CubsPSPlus.patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!